Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. All right, welcome, Steve Mercadante. I mean, you're a uh, you're a career and technical education teacher as of right now. Full disclosure, we know each other. Uh, you're a manufacturing, a pre-engineering and manufacturing technology teacher. So, um, thank you for for being a guest here on this podcast, and uh, really, really interested in uh, hearing some of the details about your career pathway and and a lot of things that led you from one point to another. So, um, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being part well, of it. My pleasure to be here with you, Sean. Excellent. And, uh, Let's... And as you know, I've been a recipient of your your leadership as well as other people at Middlesex County Votech uh, to create a really exciting uh, shop experience for our Votech students. Well, it's very much appreciated. You're the perfect person for the job. And uh, I'll be honest with you, actually, when you, you came in for an interview, I, I distinctly remember the day and the interview and all that, too. Um, there was a lot of things. You know, we, I look at a lot of resumes uh, from professionals that uh, are teachers or become teachers, want to be a teacher and things like that. Uh, one of the unique things in career and technical education is that we hire a lot of people, uh, preferably directly out of the field. Now, you actually were a certified teacher when you came to us, and that was a great thing. That was kind of like a lot of things are already done on the way here. But a majority of your entire professional experience was in the field uh, as a professional, as an engineer, and, and, and many different things. That is typically what we we get. No matter if we're hiring a culinary teacher or hiring, um, you know, healthcare teacher or something like that, we look for their experience first in those areas, and that means everything to us as we're training students and giving them the opportunities to be prepared for the expectations of the workforce itself. So uh, your experience and your resume was was pretty dynamic, very interesting, and, and we're, we're happy to have you as a person, as a professional, uh, and we certainly benefit from all your experience. So that experience is, 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 is really what intrigues me and, and many people, especially in you. Uh, and to help answer questions, maybe to other professionals, other people in the field in various areas and clusters and professions to say, how can I help inspire others? How can I prepare others to get into this field? Uh, as well as, you know, some of our younger generation, the students we're actually teaching to say, how do I create this thing called a career? And, and what does it all mean? 
Uh, one of my biggest stories that I try to tell people are it's 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 not a one for one. You know, if you go to school now uh, in our career in tech ed field to become, um, you know, a manufacturing technician or an electrician or, you know, a certified nursing assistant, it doesn't mean that you're a going to be that as soon as you get out or whatever the case is, or you're going to stay as that. And our careers have many different points that we change from job to job, from responsibility uh, to another, maybe from a technician to a manager to a supervisor or otherwise. I certainly pointed out my own career starting out as a teacher, but there was a lot of things before I became a teacher that I dabbled in and got experience with that I applied today. And I certainly never thought that becoming a teacher that I would ever be a director of career and technical education at a county vocational mm. school. So um, that's kind of like where I want to, you know, find out your story. So, so let's go way back in the day. Where, where did you grow up, Steve? I grew up in South Orange, New Jersey, Essex County. And I assume that, uh, you know, you, you went the typical high school route, right? That's right. We had a public school that was uh, a part of uh, South Orange and Maplewood, the two towns. We would walk to school, carry a lot of books home in a knapsack every day. Did you walk uphill and, both ways? Uh, junior high was a walk uphill, <laughs> but uh, uh, the high school was flat. And so we'd pick up friends along the way and... Uh, We'd, you know, march towards the school. It was a pretty big school, too. I think over 1,500 students. So as you were in high school then, obviously you're thinking about maybe even even as early back as late middle school. Were you starting to think about uh, what's going to happen after high school or where is my life going or what about careers? Was that even a thought in your head at that point? Well, I always had this... uh hazy con- conceptual uh, imagery in my head of like, but I really didn't know. I really didn't know. I, I was questioning and, and trying to find answers because I'm kind of a pensive, reflective person by nature. But I, I really didn't know where, where I was going to go at that time. Was, was um, there anyone that influenced you in that at all? I mean, did anybody sir, discuss that stuff? Sir, well, you know, uh, Certainly, my my older brother played a key role. Uh, and before I get there, I'll let you know that, you know, I remember distinctly that the counselors had us take a little test, and and I remember, uh, you know, early on uh, the counselor was a little tough, saying, oh, "I don't know if you're going to get into engineering school," but I I did really well in math, and and uh, we had a really excellent math program at the high school so we were getting into the pre-calc and all the geometry proofing and all that and i i remember taking this little test and it came back and it said uh, you should become a priest and i was like what and my mom was like no 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 <laughs> you know and so i you know you know and i think it's just maybe just part of my nature of being uh, uh um, collaborative in nature and and so that was my first data point, um, and it wasn't till my uh, summer before my senior year uh, when I spoke to my older brother, who was an industrial engineer and a graduate of uh, Seton Hall Prep and then later NJIT. And 
and I had a long talk with him on the beach. And, uh, you know, I remember us talking about the fact that industrial engineers are very people-oriented. They deal with looking at the resources. They deal with trying to improve processes. And and I really, really liked what he had to say, and, and I liked that concept. My, my brother, Tom, he he uh, went more into to, uh, technical sales, uh, and uh, but I was uh, really interested in this whole manufacturing piece and and stuff. So he really influenced me a great deal, and and that's really why I pursued the profession of industrial engineering and and really followed in his footsteps at NGIT, including the same fraternity and some of the same positions in different clubs like the uh, journalism club and things like that. That's that's uh, very interesting. I mean, it's it's nice that you had someone that that worked in the field and very close to you. Uh, that could share a lot of information, and and sounds like you guys really had a good talk there on the on the beach, and uh, got you pointed in that direction. I'm, I am curious in a way too that you know had had you had someone else that was a, a different type of engineer, um, because uh, you know what I know about engineering is that that there's many different ways and many different pathways of engineering, and we even offer electrical engineering, computer engineering, civil engineering, mechanical engineering, and there's this industrial engineering, and there's there's others as well. So, you know, if, if, if you know, they were a different engineer, would you have been drawn in, in a different area? Um, but you seem perfectly suited for the industrial engineering that you did, as you noted. Yeah, it, it, it was very appealing to me. If you, if you look at the IE industrial engineering curriculum, it, it spans everything from facilities engineering to human resources and then the whole manufacturing efficiency piece in the middle. And, uh, and so it really was that discussion on the beach the, before senior year that I said, you know, that really sounds good. And, and, I'm, and I'm kind of practical too, Sean. You know, um, I, I felt that it would be a good career and one that I could grow in. And uh, I, I talk to the kids about that all the time, especially the freshmen, about your head and your heart. You know, are, are you going to be fully aligned, totally aligned? You know, I think it's a journey, uh, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I, I felt that that was a good fit for me. Uh, I especially like the whole people orientation because to be successful as an industrial engineer, I need to talk to the different departments. I need to talk to the operator on the floor who's running the process. And and I get to talk to the executives about the accounting and the side and where our biggest problems are, where our biggest rework scrap and inefficiencies are. So it's it's really very broad and uh, I, it just really drew me in as that that was a good fit for me. Okay, so that's that that's great. That's that's interesting. The um, so if we're we're in the time and place of your senior year in high school, and you're thinking about where to go because you have this vision now in your head that that you want to go into industrial engineering, become an industrial engineer, and and maybe work on different things and products and processes and all that too. Um, you know, let me just ask you one quick, simple question. I don't know, maybe this is a simple answer. I, I don't know. I hope so. At that point in time, did you ever see yourself down the road um, being a high school teacher? Not at that point. 
that came later when I started to uh, uh, work professionally, work in the profession. Okay, so, and, so uh, not even a thought in your head at this point. Not, not really. Uh, it, it, not really. I, I don't think uh, I saw that. Okay, All I'm right. not sure if I equated teaching the teaching profession with a lucrative career choice at that time. <laughs> fair enough, and, fair enough. However, you know, let me ask you this, because I do hear some hesitation in your voice, not really, and, and it's hard to tell when we all had our, our first inklings or our thoughts on all that, too. Let me ask this question. At that mm -hmm. point in time, when you're a high school student looking to go on to college and all that, too, and pondering your future, or maybe is this the direction for me and things like that, um, I, was there a point during that time where you thought, well, uh, I like certain aspects that maybe could be my career where I help other people, I guide them, I manage them, I maybe help them understand uh, something about their job that, that I could explain it to them or anything like that? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, again, you know, that little data point on the counseling test I took, I mean, it's always been part of my nature to, uh, to, um, to help uh, fight for the little guy, and uh, may, that might be too, partly because I had two older brothers, and I had to work extremely hard to beat them in any sport. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, for sure, I, I saw that, I, I felt that quality within myself that I, I always wanted to help help others, and um, and it was part of my nature to 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 go out of my way to to be present to different people, my friends, people at school. Uh, uh, and I, maybe I can thank my mom for this. Uh, she's always had a little bit of a conciliatory counseling aspect to her, and I think that was part of who I was. Good. And, and I did recognize that, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, that's, that's, that certainly carries through in your personality and, and why you do so well as a teacher as well. Uh, good. All right. So now you're you're living in South Orange. You're completing your senior year. Uh, how do we how do we get to NJIT? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I, I did pretty well on uh, in math in high school, and and the SATs uh, gave me that boost. Uh, I remember working very hard uh, on my own uh, to practice SATs. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, I I, I did some. Um, Outreach, if you will, charitable work in in Valesburg, Newark, uh, later on, uh, where I taught SAT prep, um, and uh, so uh, so I sent out my uh, you know resumes, and the NJIT uh, was one of the schools that accepted me, and and it just felt right. I was very comfortable after again having uh, discussions with my brother that that it was a good school and uh he obviously had a good career going and so uh I just felt uh that that was a no-brainer for me to go to NJIT and uh give it all I had. Good. So you had a, a good time in NJIT. You learned a lot about industrial engineering. Um during your experience there, did you have the opportunity while going to college 
um, either on your own or through the college. Go out and see what other industrial engineers do or any practical experience along the way. Yes, fortunately, yes. Uh, we had uh, some apprenticeship-type programs going on at, at NGIT, and I, uh, one of our, our teachers uh, uh, worked uh, at Supermarkets General, was in a high position at Supermarkets General, the owner of Pathmark Food Stores. And, uh, and so we would do a summer internship uh, with him in their automated uh, uh, facility, in their supply chain uh, pack-it-up facility. And so I got to be on the right front and center with the, with the folks uh, uh, boxing and shipping, and, and they at that point had an automated conveyor with barcoding. And, and I was responsible for evaluating uh, the efficiency on the lines. And, and, and one of the simple studies we do is, you know, at a particular uh, random point based on your, uh, you know, experiment, uh, are people working or are they idle? You know, I, I would love doing that one. Are they idle or productive? And so early on I got to, to look at and be part of this process and, and evaluate was labor efficient. How we could, how could we make it more efficient? Could we provide any tools? Could we uh, work out some different algorithms with the with the barcoding and 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 bringing that uh, the the products to the what was the loading dock, and then they were going to pack up those trucks. And so it was a great experience. I mean, it was a great experience. It was fun. I you felt relevant. Uh, I was with the people. And I had conversations with them, and, and they, they, you know, had some trust in me, and I had some trust in them. And we would talk about how can we make things better? How can we make them more efficient? And so from early on with that experience, you know, the, you know, as engineers, we have that value proposition that we have to present that, hey, you know, being more efficient helps us, helps you, because it means that we can be more competitive and maintain the staffing, maintain the salaries, and just grow. And so, uh, I, I, so I was oftentimes that value proposition was easily understood by the people in the process. They would buy into that. And so I had that experience, and it was great, you know. Well, I mean, you speak about it like it happened yesterday, and that's a wonderful thing, too. So obviously it sticks in your mind. you got a great memory and all that. But I'm also thinking that that, that kind of experience really left a mark on you that, that became very important and maybe led to, to other things in your career or things you thought about. Is it, would that be accurate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, again, you know, it 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 reflected everything I had hoped for as an industrial engineer, which was it is very people-oriented because what we do affects how people perform their jobs and affects how they feel about their job. And so uh, 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 that was a really loud and clear connection and, and, and positive experience for me. 
Uh, here's here's maybe an odd question. I don't know. I'm going to ask it anyway. But you know, we often have uh, looked at certain movies uh, in in entertainment, and there's always that concept of what if something did not happen in your life? Would would things be different? Would it would would it look completely different? Would you be in a different place or anything like that? But if there was there something, whether this experience or something else in college or an influence or a professor or something else during that time frame. If something were not there, if it didn't happen, would would your career or your life be different at all? Can does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, certainly, uh, I have to go back to my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, without that discussion, without that practical. Uh, understanding of where he was and what he had uh, set out to do and accomplished without that mentoring that little without that conversation i'm not sure where i would have ended up uh so that's for sure certainly the math program at the high school uh was what lifted me it lifted my score to 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 have access to njit so that that was another thing. I think um, the experiences at NJIT, um, there were just so many of them that uh, I can't think if they they weren't there. I I, I guess uh, I guess the the experience with uh, Supermarkets General and that internship definitely was a positive one for me and helped me feel that I was on the right track. So uh, maybe I would say that that if I didn't have that experience, if I didn't uh, work with others in in that te- in that teacher who happened to be an executive at Supermarkets General, if that opportunity hadn't come along, I may not have uh, realized how good a fit that the profession of industrial engineering was going to be for me. Good. Okay. I, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a great answer. So you um, you graduate from NJIT and you you get a job right away. First of all, that 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 would be correct, right? You didn't go on for your master's right away. That's correct. Okay. Right. So do you spend basically the next number of years um, working at various companies and in different responsibilities? And we don't have to go individually one by one, but. Um, whatever you feel. So through your career, then you stay when inside the, the, the realm of industrial engineer, but what are the significant points along the way that, that led you either to a new job or to a new product or to a different responsibility? And, and what's, what's the idea? Why, why go from one to the other? What's significant about one or the other? And, you know, has, what's, what's developing with you professionally along the way? Mm, that's a great question. That covers a lot of ground. Um, so uh, you know that I was just on a panel discussion yesterday, and it's so funny that two gentlemen on the call all started at Singer Kierfot, where I started in aerospace. And so here we are some 40-plus years later, and we end up on a panel discussion together. So that first job experience, uh, 
the company's original name, Singer Kierfod, its current name, uh, uh, GEC Marconi Electronic Systems, it had a lot of name changes. Uh, and uh, I started out as an industrial engineer uh, where we would look at uh, putting together a, a value of time on labor. And early on, the, the director there, uh, I remember the names like yesterday, Carl Heverett, you know, called me in his office, and, and this is like, you know, two years in into the job. And he, he asked me, you know, would I like to be running, would I like to be in charge of running these different teams to evaluate our processes, reduce scrap, reduce rework, and make them more efficient? And I was just like, yeah, that would be fa- that would be fantastic. And he proceeded to give me the reins to lead uh, men and women who were, you know, 10, 20, 25 years my, older than I was with all this experience. And uh, it was such a cool project. And, I, you know, and that's the, the, the other thing about engineering is there's – it's always uh, you're always getting on to different projects and so here i was and bridging the gap between the engineer and the production floor uh i i have access to data where i can assess and pinpoint and target where the biggest weaknesses are where our inefficiencies are where and and working with the engineer side we were able to translate that into what design changes might we want to make to make the process more efficient. And then there we go down to the production floor and we connect it all, connect the dots and, and we would uh, use videotape. Sometimes we videotaped operators performing the operation. And so it was just a very exciting, dynamic and relevant Position, and I think you know, for most of us in work, we we always want to feel that we're relevant, that we're contributing, and and this was just it started off my career with with a big bang because we were able to accomplish so many things and improve through the data, through the curves, we could see that we were getting more efficient, and we were reducing scrap and reducing rework, and uh, so that was a, a you know. The first big experience. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, following that, <clears throat> there was a name change because the company got uh, the, it was sold. It was actually a, sorry to say this, but raided by a, a gentleman by the name of Belzarian, and he broke up Singer, which was had the sewing machine, had Craftsman tools, had Carefot, broke it up into its little parts and sold it. So. I had to make a decision at that point. I was, let's say, four or five years in, whether to stay with Kierfot or move on to the electronics side. And at that time, it was called Plessy Electronics. And I decided after some evaluation, some discussions with the directors who were at Plessy Electronics, uh, I'm sorry, originally Singer Electronic Systems, that I felt that that would be a better future for me, that the electronics and the software were continually going to be changing and upgraded. And so I went to the electronics systems division. Um, 
that's where uh, I met uh, the VP of quality, Eddie Albert, and he tapped me on the shoulder. He tapped another young lady, Diane, uh, who was uh, quality. I was industrial engineering. Uh, I, my line job was supervisor of industrial engineering. I had about 15 different people reporting to me, folks who program the equipment, folks who methodize or sequence the steps from a print. Uh, I had the tool designer, and that was very exciting. But Eddie Albert tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, in addition to that job, we'd like you to come and we want to create a new culture at the company. We want to have a culture of quality improvement. And for the next five, seven, five to ten years, we were creating workshops for in, uh, training seminars, uh, delivering different tools and techniques to everybody in the, in the whole company. We were even defining the books that we wanted folks to read and creating names and uh, for the culture, you know, for the TQM culture. I think we called we called it PACE. People actively uh, uh, trying to improve uh, uh, and make things more efficiently, efficiently. And um, and during that experience, uh, Sean, I remember through so many workshops. People would say, Steve, you know, you should really become a teacher. And that's where that whole teacher buzz started to happen. You know, I had something in me that I had to make sure that everybody in that workshop, that the lights went off. Mm. I would twist and turn and try to attack what we were presenting from different uh, perspectives and try to bring it down to different levels. And they appreciated it. And from that point forward throughout my career, because I went on to different companies and we'll talk, you know, why and when, I would always get that same feedback. They'd say, Steve, you should really become a teacher. And that stuck with me. And that was percolating in me for probably, you know, 20 years. So, yeah, it's actually funny because, you know, when other people say to to some people, whatever, that, that they should become a teacher... Um, there's a lot of people that have this stereotype of what a teacher is and, and what they teach, you know? So, so I'm kind of curious at that point in time, obviously you're, you're a person who's very good at explaining things, helping people learn things. You've given workshops, you've done those things. So it's starting to resonate with you that, that maybe there is a knack for, for this kind of field, but you know, what, what, what was your idea of a teacher? Some people say, oh, I can become a, a college professor, maybe, or something like that. But when they think of teacher, they think of, um, you know, math teacher, science teacher, history teacher, or something like that. Um, was, was that kind of like running through your head, too? You know, it, it start, I started to think about it. And uh, I eventually taught a statistics course at Seton Hall and realized, not realized, I had decided that I didn't want to get go for a PhD. I didn't see myself in that way, and and I so I felt well, I'm not going to be able to teach at college because you can't really make a lot of money as an adjunct. And there was a fellow employee 
uh, a little younger than me, and it is probably 10 years in, I'm still a singer, Kierfot, he mentioned to me, he said, Steve, you know, they have this technology education degree program at Montclair State, you know, where you can get a degree in, in, and become a teacher. And uh, this is after I got my MBA, mm-hmm. which also was kind of cool because uh, they would come right to Singer Kierfrau. We were that big. The teachers would actually teach, you know, 20 feet. I'd walk out of my office you know, well, 30, 20 yards to the back, and there was a teacher, and it was like, oh, I have to do this MBA. And as you know, the, the tuition reimbursement, it was, it was great. But this gentleman had talked to me about technology education, and I would go later on go investigate that, actually speak to the professor at Montclair State, and begin what was really a journey for me because it took – me over 10 years to complete all the requirements for teaching because I wasn't interested in going there right now. I was just trying to have a plan B. It's part of the, my nature, uh, you know, to say, well, you know, I saw that, uh, that I was enjoying these roles of running and creating workshops and I did investigate it and would later, uh, pursue it at my own pace while I was working, you know, full time. So let me, let me see if I have this correct. If I read your resume correctly and I'm thinking about this and I'm hearing your story right now, you're at um, your initial job basically. And then kind of more or less just getting a lot of experience. You're there for about 14 years or so. If I, if I did the math correctly on that one, exactly. And I'm not right. good at math. So I'm, that's a, that's a huge, <laughs> um, and during this time, you're not only getting engineering experience, working on different projects, hosting workshops, changing various things with uh, the climate and culture, uh, but you're also kind of starting to contemplate various things. Now, you you go through an MBA program, which is helpful for the company. It's helpful for you. It gets on your resume. You've learned a lot of stuff there. And you're also starting to to get some feedback that you do have this teacher gene within you that there's a lot of aspects about you that, that, that really could be a very effective teacher. And you even start dabbling in that. I mean, you say it takes 10 years, but you know, things, things take time. Obviously you have to do things. Uh, so you go for technology education at Montclair. So that's a whole lot to do. Uh, we look at 14 years and say, well, that's pretty significant, but there's a whole lot of things going on there and information just continually building up uh, within you and you're really gathering a lot of things. So what? Um, yeah, let me pick apart a couple of those things real quick. So sure. the let's start the MBA program. Um, I kind of went through something similar in a way where I got my first master's with a cohort of other people, uh, and it was I didn't have to travel all the way up uh, to Kane University. I, I actually took it in Middletown. I was working in Ocean Township at the time, so it was a, a pretty simple commute actually to get to Middletown. Uh, it was only you know 20 minutes away, and, and rather than driving an hour up to a college, so that was very very convenient. So going across the hall to take your MBA program, even simply, you don't have to move your car. So, so that's a wonderful thing. Right. Um, but here, here's kind of a difference too. Some people go off to college 
And whatever field they're going into, I've seen it most oftentimes in teaching. And a lot of them think, well, if I get my master's right away, I'll finish my bachelor's, I'll go right on to my master's, I'll get that done in another year or two, depending on the program, and then I'll be really, really marketable, everything will be great. Um, have you ever thought about, you know, the kind of like the difference of getting your master's, your MBA, uh, later on as you were working and, and getting experience and doing all that stuff and how it applies? Or would you recommend those people that, oh, no, stay in college, get your bachelor's, get your master's, and then, and then come out with it? I, I, I don't know. What do you, where do you come on this one? Um, I'm a big proponent of get out in the field and go for your master's later. For one big reason, economics. These companies were willing to provide you tuition reimbursement uh, as a way to expand your uh, talent, uh, as a way to keep to retain you uh, actively working with them, um, and so you know my MBA program was totally paid by uh, 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 Plessy Electronic System. So uh, uh, why not take advantage of that? That's a huge, huge benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so and 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 I got it. I mean, I get it that that you. You know, you, they get something out of it too. They they get to retain you. Uh, they get to uh, help provide them with rationale on why they might want to promote you. You're not only successful, but you, you've got your masters. And so, uh, uh, I'd say that the the tuition reimbursement benefit that companies are providing is just a no-brainer. If you have an interest. Uh, why not get out in the field and, and do it? Uh, certainly, Sean, you know, doing it at night, it, it takes a while to do the uh, what amounted to 60-plus credits for an MBA. Uh, that took me about five years at night to do that. Um, and so uh, I would that's, – that's I, I feel it's a no-brainer just because of the economics of it. It's, sure. it's a huge benefit. Sure. I, I would, I would totally agree with you on that one, and, and, and for a lot of the same reason. Uh, I know the, all the graduate work that I've done uh, throughout my career, a significant portion of it, at least 75 80% of it, was, was actually you know picked up by the, the school districts that I was working for uh, and, and done that way as an incentive to kind of get that. As long as it's not required for your job and you're going on and, and seeking further education, there was uh, tuition reimbursement, and I know that holds true in in many different career areas, including entry level jobs. That you know, for for students coming out of high school, getting an entry level job, there's a lot of companies, corporations that will give tuition reimbursement even to get your associates or your bachelor's degree and all that too. So, I think the economics is a, is a huge piece of that, as well. I know that I learned in a teaching profession because I actually went through a traditional teacher program. It wasn't technology education, what you got. Um, and, you know, my intention was to be an industrial arts uh, teacher, which really morphed at that, that moment as a technology education teacher. Uh, but to actually start teaching in the field and, and getting some experience at least a few years under my belt before I went back for a master's. And, and what I found, and maybe you can relate to this, is that um, a lot of the things that I was learning during my master's and the subject areas that we were being taught and, and we were learning and doing projects in 
um, either directly applied to what I was teaching at the time, where I can kind of do those case studies and, and things like that. Or, right. or I reflected on and said, wow, like I came across that issue while I first started teaching or have it now or wherever the case was. Uh, and I could see how it directly applies where I kind of thought to myself that if I had gone on to my master's directly after my bachelor's, I wouldn't have had the benefit of the reflection of kind of like what was happening in the real world or what was happening in my classroom or my school at the time. So did you find a lot of that to be the same? Yeah, I do. I think you can relate it to your job experience. And uh, certainly with the MBA, uh, we, we did all the accounting courses. So there's a big connection between the financial side and the labor and overhead and manufacturing side. And, and that helped with that piece, uh, because especially in in a uh, we our product lines were primarily all government, and we needed to dot all I's, cross all T's. You had to show where every penny was being spent, and so that was a big uh, connection connection there. Um, and um, yeah, that I think. Uh, and, and if I hadn't, uh, if I just you know slammed through it right after. Uh, college i think uh, i would have missed missed the connecting of of that and and i, I too I, re- I remember fondly the business policy classes and <laughs> and i and uh that as in the mba that you know that uh that making policy is a, a big part making procedures is a are, is a big part to controlling and improving the manufacturing floor so uh i could relate to that very well Good. Doing it. I appreciate that. That's, that's interesting. So, so um, the 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 other years that follow, you uh, you spent a significant amount of time, obviously, in in that place. And though things had kind of changed and morphed, and names changed and things like that too, uh, there's at least you know four other places you've gone, and and you, you stayed in the industrial manufacturing. Um, arena and engineering, and although it certainly looks at your the products that you were overseeing and what's being manufactured were a little bit different and obviously fascinating. Um, but you know what are what are the significant steps along the way that kind of got you to think about should I change or did I change or where do I go from here and and all that in my career? Yeah, great question, and and it was a conscious decision on on my part. Uh, it, back at Plessy Electronics, uh, as you mentioned, 14 years, you know, I'd always wrestled with the product line that, you know, uh, uh, I remember one gentleman said, you're working for the great big war machine. And I, and I, I had some trouble sometime saying, you know, uh, you know, reconciling that. However, uh, I started to recognize the value of that from a military and aerospace perspective. Uh, perspective and also the the spin-offs of technology that gets driven from aerospace and NASA is just unparalleled and the complexity of what's being done is is so intense and requires so much organization that you know that's why I, I was there and then uh, what happened in, in as well uh, is that I witnessed my first layoff in, in aerospace. I wasn't laid off, 
But I watched men and women get marched into an office and come out with a, you know, a cardboard box. And I, you know, I, I really felt bad, you know. And even though that is uh, uh, a potential uh, risk in, in all businesses, uh, it was then and there that I said, you know what, I have to force myself to move out of aerospace because I want to be diversified. I want to know that I can get a job at any time. And I wanted purposely wanted to diversify my manufacturing experience. And that led me to an opportunity at Johnson and Johnson, uh, Cordis, uh, the stent uh, delivery system for uh, catheter and stent. And, uh, there was another gentleman there from uh, who had worked at Singer Carefot, and I was kind of psyched out, psyched about that. And uh, and uh, I also liked, you know, it was medical devices. So I, I was very, very interested in, again, uh, uh, enlarging my experience. And so uh, I started working there as an operations a team leader which was kind of cool. Um, and uh, at first, uh, you know, the base salary was a little bit lower. But as I explained to my wife, I said, but there, I said, there's always overtime and I'm going to get paid for overtime. So I was laughing. I was like, there's no, I said, I knew I was going to be making an extra 30, 40,000 in overtime, <laughs> call it 30,000, because that's the way it is. And, and I, I, I did. And, and so salary wise, it was, it was a lift, even though my base was less. And it was there that I got to witness and indoctrinated into the whole Johnson and Johnson philosophy and credo. They have a credo that they live by today that they say we hire and fire and make all our decisions based on that credo. As you know, Sean, when you walk into my room now at the Votech, I created a credo for our shop mm -hmm. because I just thought it was so powerful to to put into writing, you know, what the expectations are. And so uh we made the stent delivery system. Um, I was able to get on a, I was on a project where we laid out the entire factory, the entire, every shop, job in the shop, we laid it out into a continuous flow, meaning we used the lean principles to do that. And we went from a 24 seven operation. We were able to increase our quality and increase our output, uh, such that, we were working only five days and two shifts. And so it was an incredible experience where we applied these concepts of lean. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, so we, what happened was uh, after two years, it was so successful that Johnson and Johnson, who I claim, you know, they play on a different monopoly board, decided to move the operation to Florida and Mexico. They bought a catheter company uh, called uh, um, Cordis. And uh, they, I'm sorry, no, they bought a catheter company. And by doing so, they like increased 
the the opportunities for their stent to be incorporated to all these different catheters. So it was very cool, one of the most successful medical devices in history, they refer to it. And I always laugh because it was so successful, they moved it to Florida <laughs> and Mexico. I did not want to go. I didn't want to leave New Jersey. I'm a homebody. And uh, during that time at Johnson & Johnson, when they did that, in, in addition to my normal role, <clears throat> The training department had brought me in under their wing, and they were making these training seminars. Here we go again, right? Seminars and case studies. And I was creating them, and they loved what I was doing because of the connection to the production floor. And they wanted me very much to go with them, you know, to come into the corporate and, yeah. and do the training. And I just said, I said, I just couldn't do it, Sean, because I, I felt – you know, in my mind, when there ever, whenever there are layoffs, training's the first to go, and I didn't know where it was going to take me. Uh, so, you know, would that have taken me to teaching sooner? I don't know. Uh, but then again, again, I'm a homebody. I, I like living in New Jersey. I didn't. I wasn't one to be flying all over the U.S. with this uh, their their training department mm. and or and all over all over the world. Uh, so I. I uh, decided at that point only after a couple of years because that's how the success came, how quickly it came to, to Cordis, that uh, a friend of mine said, Steve, did you see this opportunity? And I was always talking about getting over the bridge, you know, <clears throat> to come into uh, <clears throat> Monmouth or Ocean County. Yeah. And it was a company called uh, um, Osteotech, and – they process human tissue and return it back to the orthopedic industry. And she, she told me about this job, and I said, wow, that is very cool. That's so different. The rules are going to go out the window. It's not a widget. It's, it's every, every, the properties of uh, each, each of our bones and, and our tendons, are, they're all unique to us. And so there's no standard, standard uh, set. And and so um, uh, I left uh, Johnson and Johnson at that point because they were migrating things out of the state, and I went to Eatontown and uh, and got into tissue engineering. That's a good place to stop part one of this interview. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points. Please continue on to part two in the next episode for the rest of this career story to hear what took place between the bullet points.